it's awesome. It's got elves and orcs and dwarves and fighting and swords and epic battles and stories of friendship and good overcoming evil and adversity and all the things. It's awesome. Blair, on the other hand, does not think they're so awesome. I, Blair and I have been together now for over seven years. We'll be married seven years come this October. And I've tried to get her to watch the Lord of the Rings movies over three times now. She watched them finally on the fourth. See, we would start with the Fellowship of the Rings. That's the first one, right? you got to start with the first one. And I can admit the first one's a little slow in spots. But I, I would turn it on and it would like open the monologue and be like, the world has changed, right? I feel it in the water. And we're like 30 seconds into the movie and I'll turn my head and I'm, I'm getting all like nerd out because I'm like, I'm about to spend the next 12 hours in Middle Earth with like these little hobbit people and it's going to be fun. And I look over and my wife's already asleep. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. How do you fall asleep right at, like, you're not even trying to like this, right? Like, we're not even at a boring part yet. Now, she did admit she got through it, and on the fourth time we get through it, and I'm like, well, we can watch the Hobbit movies now, and she's like, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah, that's all you. <laughs> so I told her I was going to share this story this morning, and she told me in her defense she needed a, a diagram with names and faces and places because they all look the same, and they all have similar names, and if I, she would have, if I would have given her like a 20-minute PowerPoint presentation beforehand, she would have enjoyed it a little bit more. I don't believe her, but bless her heart, A for effort. Um, but I tell you all this because I love, with all that I am, the Word of God. And I want you to love God's Word as well. And I know that no matter how hard I try, I can't make you love it. But in the next 30 minutes or so, I'm going to do my best to shove it down your throat like a parent does broccoli down their child's, okay? Because it's not just good for you. This is better than life, okay? It's the sword against the enemy. It is life-giving. It is food for your very soul. It's true. It's trustworthy. It's living. It's breathing. It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it gets places in your soul that nothing else can, okay? And the truth is, I don't know anybody who loves Jesus like crazy who doesn't love the word of God. Like his spoken word. If you love the Lord with all your mind, then you love his word. It's just true. And all of his word points to one man, Jesus. And as we have seen over the last six weeks, he appeared in the Old Testament at various times with various people in various ways. In our time together, we are going to witness that before he was born of a virgin, he appeared sword in hand as the commander of the Lord's army in Joshua 5 with Joshua. This is known as a Christophany. Some scholars say that there are up to 12 Christophanies in the Old Testament. And the writers of the Old Testament really didn't understand what they were experiencing. Right? They didn't understand that they were dealing with the second part of the Trinity, co-equal to the Father. Okay? So that's why at some points they'll call him an angel or they'll call him a man, or God. They don't know what language to use. But before we jump into the word this morning, we got to kind of backtrack a little bit so we know exactly what's going on and why God appeared as the commander of the Lord's army. And at the beginning of Joshua, in Joshua 1, right out the gate, God tells Joshua that Moses is dead, like, gone. All right? 
So Joshua is now in charge. And I got to imagine Joshua is a little bit scared in this chapter because God has to tell him to be strong and courageous three times in one chapter. Be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, right? Three times in one chapter. And it's probably because Joshua was weak and afraid, weak and afraid, and weak and afraid. And if you look at Joshua's resume prior to taking over, it doesn't really look great, okay? Like, he was Moses' assistant. Like, he was assistant to the regional manager for 40 years, okay? He's an expert at camping, right? Because they get to the promised land, nobody wants to go in, so the Israelites are scared. They never fought a battle. Well, he didn't fight a battle because he didn't go in. He's one of the spies that goes in. Uh, he tells them that there are giants in there. The Israelites refuse to go in, so they have to make their way in the desert for the next 40 years. So he's an expert camper. Okay, he'd make a great camping world employee. And I, I wonder if he's insecure, and, and I believe he's insecure because the Lord had to reassure him so much in this chapter. But I wonder if he's insecure because of the giants that were ahead or because of the, the shadow that Moses casted before him. Because no one ever wants to be the guy replacing the guy because it's typically, that, that doesn't work out too well for the guy. Like when Steve Spurrier decided to go try in the NFL, Ron Zook took over, and that just didn't work out well for old Zookie, okay? But why can't he be strong and courageous? has nothing to do with him. It's because the Lord, his God, is with him wherever he goes. God is with him, and by Joshua 5, he's gotten a few wins under his belt. Things are going his way, and when things are going our way, we can kind of get full of ourselves, okay? And when we get full of ourselves and we start believing in our own hype, we forget the importance of God, okay? And the people now are telling Joshua that they're going to follow him like they did Moses, which was really a backhanded compliment to Joshua, in my opinion, because how did the people of Israel follow Moses? They whined, complained, and grumbled the whole daggum time. So I imagine that's kind of a backhanded compliment. But Joshua was able to do some really really big things for the Lord right out the gate. He put the Ark of the Covenant in front of his, the group of Israelites, and the, Levi, the Levites uh, get to the Jordan River, and the Jordan River parts in two like the Red Sea, and they're able to pass the Jordan River through dry ground because of what the Lord did there. Um, he convinces all of the men of fighting age, so grown men, to get circumcised. This was the way of reinstituting the covenant with God's people. I can't get myself and my own family to church on time most weeks. And this dude convinces grown men to get circumcised with what the Bible calls a flint knife. That doesn't sound like fun. It sounds super painful. And I see a lot of men in this room right now going, ain't no way. Ain't no way. Amen, Dean? Ain't no way. After that, they celebrate the first Passover in Canaan to remember where they were, and how far God has taken them. And then the next day, the very next day after celebrating the Passover, the manna from heaven stops, and they eat from produce of the land of Canaan. They are in the land now. Now they have to conquer it. We're caught up. So let us read these three verses together and see where the Lord takes us. Um, I'm going to let y'all sit, since I imagine Pastor Micah's sitting around the pool right now. So y'all are going to stand in your hearts. Um, but I would ask that you pay attention in reverence for the reading of God's word. Starting in verse 13, it says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a sword drawn in his hand. 
And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for your adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped a, and said to uh, him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Let us pray. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you go before us, that you set the way. Lord, we thank you that you loved us so much that you would die on the cross for us, that it wasn't just some mistake, Lord, but you had it planned all the way through eternity past. Lord, may you be glorified and honored in this time period, or in this time. We love you, Lord. We praise you and we need you. Amen. You may stay seated. So... We're going to look at three different, well, it's not really truths this morning. I'm going to present with you all three different questions. And the first question I have for you, are you on God's side? Okay, get the picture here. Joshua was about to lead the people of God into the first major battle. Okay, he's about to take down the city of Jericho. So he's off by himself at this point. He lifts up his eyes and he sees, you know, there's somebody there. Like, war is imminent, Israel is armed and ready, and this is Joshua's first true moment of leadership. So he's having a little bit of trouble sleeping, so he goes out, takes, goes out for a nightly stroll. He's out late at night, all by himself. He's killing time, probably playing, and that word by Jericho in Hebrew indicates that Joshua had snuck right up to the walls. Like, he was by Jericho, okay? And then he sees this guy, and Dude's got a sword drawn in his hand. Now, first, can we acknowledge that Joshua is a man's man? Because he's right by the enemy's wall, and he encounters a strange man in the door, in the in the door, in the dark, with his uh, sword drawn. And a lesser man, like me, would have ran out of there fast, quick, and in a hurry. I would have looked like Pastor Micah encountering a snake, but not Joshua. Joshua goes over and challenges the guy to a fight. Now, write this in your Bible if you want to. Joshua is the Chuck Norris of Israel. Okay? That's pretty much the, the picture you need to be painted right there. Okay? So Joshua asked the obvious question. Are you on my side or are you on their side? For us or for adversaries? And I love the response. Like, that had to confuse, like, no. Like, that had to confuse him, right? No. I asked a multiple choice question. You answered in true, false. Like, what do you mean no? Okay, like, it was a yes or no. Um, wasn't that yes or no. It was, like, what's going on here? I am the commander of the Lord's army. Okay, um, so how does Joshua reply? He falls on his face, and he says, what messages do you have for me? See, understand that God is for you. God is for you. Just not everything is about you. Okay, like, I tell that, that's one of my favorite things to tell the youth. Like, a lot of them grew up here, and, like, they're special little snowflakes and, and beautiful little butterflies and their skittles and all that. But it ain't true. Like, the world doesn't revolve around you. Okay? I heard a pastor say, you want to know how important you are? Dip your finger in a cup of water and see the dent you made. Okay? You, you don't make a dent in water in case that went. All right? Everything is about God, though. And I believe that Joshua here was letting his ego get a little bit of ahead of himself. Because are you for us or are you against us? Wrong question, dude. Wrong question, and it's the question we all ask, and we ask it incorrectly. 
Because the question isn't, are you for us or are you against us? The question should be, are you on God's side? That's the only side that matters. I'm not for the donkey. I'm not for the elephant. I'm for the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. See, politics are dividing this country like crazy. And it blows my mind because it's two wings of the same bird. Okay? But that's a different sermon. Are you on God's side? Do you realize that God is all about God's glory? Like, this is why he redeemed simple man so his glory would shine. Like, God is jealous for his own glory. Not jealous how we get jealous. Like, we get jealous for dumb reasons. Like, we get jealous for people who are going on, like, cruises, like Pastor Micah, and vacations, and having a day off. And, I mean, that's the whole invention of social media, right? That's why we do it. We filter out every negative aspect of our life so that others can see this fake reality and see how awesome our lives are when, in fact, a lot of times they ain't that awesome. So we aren't jealous like God is jealous. God is jealous because you are giving glory to other things when all the glory belongs to God. And that's the best news for you and me, that he is obsessed with himself, which what else would you want God to be obsessed with? Like, so you mean like God is full of himself? Like, mm -hmm, sure do. God is full of himself. The reason that is not okay for you and me to not be full of ourselves is because we are full of scubulon. If you are not familiar with the word, it's a Hebrew word, so you can actually use this because it's biblical. It essentially means animal dung. We are full of scubilon, animal dung. God is to be full of himself, and that is why we worship him, because he is the only thing worth worshiping. Because who am I that he would take my place, right? And I'm not saying you got to do it the way I do it. Like, you don't have to worship the way I worship. I, I sing terribly. Like, the boys in the second row all know this. But I lift my hands up a lot of times and surrender, and I just worship, man. Like, you might want to try it that way because I got it from the book. Okay, like, lift your hands and sing and make much of him because he is the only thing worth it. That's what worship is. And I know a lot of y'all grew up in church where you just stand there and look like you were weaned off a pickle, just, <laughs> right? But, I, and all I have to say about that is get over yourselves. Ain't, ain't nobody paying attention to you. Well, I don't like that song. Who cares? We ain't singing it to you, Scooter. Like, we are singing to God. And I got news for you. God's really into it. So stop focusing on your self-serving, selfish desires and make much of him who is worthy to be praised. Amen? Amen? So may we keep thinking, or may we stop thinking that this life is primarily about us. It's not. God, teach us to pray according to your will. Help us seek your, your will above all else. Like, it's thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Not our will from earth to heaven, okay? So this is key, and I love this. The most important question is not whose side is someone on. The most important question is, are you, Joshua, on God's side? That's the most important question, not just for Joshua in Joshua chapter 5. That's the most important question in your life and my life today. Like, we often pray and ask God to be with us. And that's not necessarily a bad thing to pray. Like, well, God has promised to be with us. He's omnipresent. He's promised to be with us. But we want to pray for the power of his presence with us and his guidance and his grace for us in all kinds of ways. So it is good to pray for God to be with us. But, you know, fundamentally, we need to ask the question first, are we with God? Are we on his side? Because if we're not, we can come up with all kinds of plans for our lives and we could ask God to bless them, like, come over and get behind this. Like, wait a minute. 
What are God's plans in the world, and how could I align my life with them? That's a different way to think. Okay. I think one of the most common questions people ask today is, what is God's will for my life? And that is a very, very easy answer because it is literally in Scripture word for word. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, the will of God is your sanctification. To be more and more and more and more like Jesus, to become more like Christ, to seek him more, to pray to him more. Instead, I wonder if it would be better for us to ask, what is God's will in the world and how could I align my life with it? It may sound like you're saying something different, but I think it's actually fundamentally different. Because we oftentimes, when we're saying, what is God's will for my life, we're kind of coming with different uh, options instead of starting with his will and saying, what is your will in the world, O oh God, and how can I best align my life with that? That's the question we should all be asking and praying for. Not that God is on our side, but that we are on his side. So that's the first question. Are you on God's side? Second question is, who is this that Joshua encounters? And I, a few hints if you weren't paying attention at the beginning. He is called the commander of the Lord. He isn't being rebuked for worshiping this guy. Joshua is not being rebuked for worshiping this guy. Which in the book of Revelation, when John the Revelator tries to worship the angel, he falls on the, uh, at the angel's feet and the angel kind of kicks him and tells him, get his butt up, we only worship God here. Um, so that would be a good clue. He is also told to take off his sandals because he is standing on holy ground. Now the dirt in and of itself is not holy. The person standing on the dirt has made it holy. It's the same picture we have in Exodus 3. And then in the very next chapter, he is called the Lord, if that doesn't make it any clearer. This is what theologians call a, th uh, a Christophany, as I said, or an Old Testament pre-nativity appearance of God in human form. This is Jesus. You're getting a glimpse of Jesus before he shows up in Bethlehem. And in the rest of our time together, I want to highlight a few things about our relationship with him. And there has always only been one way to follow Jesus. There's been only one way to relate to him. Somebody's got some car issues. Whether Old Testament or new. I don't care if it's the year 22, 122, 2022, 32, 22, whatever it is, there is only one way to follow Jesus. And these are so important. Jesus invites us to surrender. Okay? He invites us to surrender. He doesn't come as someone to get onto our side. He comes as one to whom we surrender. And a lot of us at some point realize that God needs to be a part of our lives. Like, we certainly don't want him to be our adversary, right? We don't want to make God our enemy. We need him in our family. We need him because things in life are overwhelming us. Or we simply just don't want to, when we die, we don't want to go to hell. And if he is, and understand, church, that he is so much more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card. We have freedom from sin because of what Christ did on Calvary. It's not a license to sin. I have a bunch of young men and women in the youth ministry getting their learners and permits and to drive around town. And I, every time I see them get behind the wheel, I tell them to text me which direction they're going so I know which direction not to go. But there is great freedom in getting a license to drive. But if you speed, if you run red lights, if you drive recklessly, it's eventually and ultimately going to lead to bad things happening. Whether it's a ticket or a wreck or your parents finding out of the, the apps that they have that you don't know about um, and you get grounded and lose your keys. But you have freedom to choose what you are going to do with this new freedom that you have never had before. It's the same when we come to Jesus. 
You have freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. What we don't want to, um, uh, excuse me, out of abundance of love for Jesus, we want to be obedient to him. So we should use our freedom in Christ to be obedient, right? Not because it gets us anything we want, but because we love him. Like what we don't want to do is we don't want to start asking God like the wrong kind of questions. How much do I have to do and what do I have to do to get you on my side? That's not a good question to ask. Or questions like how much do I have to give you? How much do I have to go to church? How well do I have to keep your commandments? See, that is a completely wrong way of approaching Jesus for at least two reasons. One, you can never bargain your way into heaven. You can never do enough. That is the whole point of the gospel. The gospel is that you could never be good enough to earn God's love. It was something Jesus did for you by living a perfect life, the life you should have lived, and then dying on a cross, the death you should have died in your place. And secondly, Jesus is not just the commander of the Lord's army. Jesus is commander of the entire universe. He's not someone to get on your side. He is someone to whom you surrender. So here's my question. How do you approach God? Not are you doing enough to get him on your side, that you've gotten him as a fighter in your army, but have you enlisted yourself as a soldier in his? Man, I think we see this all the time in politics. Everybody wants to enlist God on their side and there is certainly a place for discussing which positions best represent a biblical approach to these issues but Jesus has his own mission and it's not embodied in either of the political platforms see Jesus's mission was to save sinners and make disciples and make disciples who would make disciples and build his church the most important question is not is God on your side but have you joined up with his mission his agenda and thus when it comes to money Rather than saying, how much do I have to give to God so I can go on about my life? You should look at all your money, that it's his. It's his money, and it's given to you for his purposes and his mission. And you say, Jesus, what do you want me to do with this money? Because it's all yours, and I am a soldier in your army. And that leads me to number two. Jesus, uh, the first thing is Jesus invites us to surrender. Then he invites us to follow God is going to be the one doing the fighting in this battle. He does not need Joshua to fight the battle for him. He's going to use Joshua in the battle, but that is way different, right? What he is going to tell Joshua to do, in fact, well, it seems really strange, right? To walk around the walls of Jericho seven times and then yell and blow trumpets and God would knock down the walls. That's a terrible strategy if you ask any of us, right? Send the marching band around the outer defense. But it's not about us. Now, truthfully, God didn't need Joshua to knock down the walls. He could have done that part all by himself, but he chooses to use Joshua. And this is very, very important. At no point does God tell us to go do the, uh, to fight the battle for him. Never. He invites us to follow him as he fights the battle through us. And I love in the Gospels that Christ tells his disciples to pray to the God of the harvest for the workers are few. And after he tells them to pray, the very next thing is he sends those very men out who prayed to go make disciples and to spread the gospel. See, we see this again in Acts 1. After Jesus gives the great commission to the disciples, which was to go into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations, do you remember the first thing he told them to go do? He told them to go and wait. Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
You know, some of the disciples were like these A type, like my wife's an A type. Like, wait, like we got to get to the gospel to every nation. We can't delay. We got to, can't wait a second. We got to get a conference organized. We got to get a preaching tour going. You got to write a book, John. Ain't no time. We got to work. But Jesus said to wait. Why? Because he wanted them to understand that they wouldn't build the church for him. He would do it through them. Jesus didn't say, you will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevent against it, or prevail against it. No, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevent, uh, prevail against it. This makes such a huge difference in how you should approach the mission of God. The question is not, how do we accomplish the mission and save the world? That question only leads to constant guilt and feelings of being overwhelmed and um, eventual like paralysis just where you quit doing anything. And some of us have probably been there before. But the question is simply, what has the Holy Spirit given me to do? What gifts has he given me? What is he leading me to do with them? Our job is just to simply follow and obey. Are you listening to the Holy Spirit when he guides you? You know, the Holy Spirit shows up in 59 places in the book of Acts. In 36 of those, he is speaking, guiding, and leading them in mission and speaking through them. Is the Holy Spirit speaking and guiding you in ministry? If not, are you even walking with the Holy Spirit? Listen, I understand that there are some unique things happening in the book of Acts. But understand, I am not one of those who believe we are. We have a fundamentally different relationship to the Holy Spirit than when we see, that we see in those early churches and those early Christians. They were led by him in the mission. They depended on him. They were sensitive to him, and they followed him. Let me give you an example. In Acts 16.6, Luke is, in, is recounting how the gospel was spreading through Europe. Okay? And, um, they were um, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and when they had come uh, to uh, Mosiah, they attempted to go into uh, Bethaniah, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Didn't allow them to do what? Not curse or tell a lie? No, he, he forbade them to preach the gospel in a certain area. And you see how they are simply following the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, don't go there. So they didn't go there. They went to the next place. So the question is simple. Do you follow the Holy Spirit? Parents. Do you follow him in your parenting? Do you think you're going to be able to raise your kids without the Holy Spirit? Like, here's a really good honest gauge on if you are following him in your parenting. Do you have your kids at church more or the ball field more? Do you spend any time with your children in the word or in prayer? What is the one thing driving everything in your home? And if it's not the Holy Spirit, something's got to give. Do you get up every day and say, Holy Spirit, show me where you want to use me today and who you want to use me with. Put words in my mouth to encourage others, to warn others, to tell them about Jesus. You know, the Bible talks, uh, um, you know, Jesus in his ministry, he talked more about money than he did heaven and hell. And I would consider heaven and hell to be like two really important things. But let me ask you this. Are you following him in your giving? Listen, just about every impulse I have in my heart to give, I try to obey. You say, what if it's not the Holy Spirit, but the devil? Now, I'm not sure what is the official list of things like Satan can and cannot do and like what he prompts us to do, but I'm pretty sure sacrificial giving is not on that list. So I assume it's God and I just give it. 
Now, a couple words of caution, and I feel like I've got to say these about listening to the Holy Spirit. First off, the Spirit of God never leads you to do anything contrary to the Word of God. He is not going to ever lead you to leave your husband, to have an affair, or teenagers um, can never come home and say, God has led me to have sex with my girlfriend or boyfriend, or told me it was okay to start smoking pot, or living in any type of sin. The Spirit of God is never against the Word of God. Never, ever, ever, ever. Second, notice that the apostles weren't waiting on the Spirit to tell them to preach the gospel or get involved in the mission. Jesus had already told us to do that. The Holy Spirit is guiding them as they do it. It's kind of like riding a bicycle. You start pedaling, and then you steer the bike. You start obeying, and the Holy Spirit will guide you as you do. And I point this out because we have a lot of people sitting around here waiting on God to tell them to do something he's already told them to do. And I can assure you that if you are not participating in ministry, if you are not using your spiritual gifts and talents for the Lord, if you are not telling other people about Jesus, if you are not making disciples, if you are not pouring yourself out into the church, and you are not giving sacrificially, you are not walking with the Holy Spirit. Start the pedal, and he will guide you. The Holy Spirit only steers moving ships. But the point is that Jesus calls us to follow he doesn't need us to do anything for him, but he calls for us to let him do the impossible through us. He can do more with five loaves and two fish in five minutes than Bill Gates could ever do in ten lifetimes. Or better said by A.W. Tozer, and this is going to be on the screen for you, and I, I love this quote. God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. We have all heard the saying, God does not call the equipped, but he equips the called. And every single one of us are called to something in regard to the kingdom work, and doesn't matter your age. God is not done with you because you are still here, and you aren't going about it alone. And that is our third realization. Our God is with us, friends, and do you realize God is with us? And this last truth is wrapping everything up. This is going to take about two minutes, so just stay with me. These three verses in Joshua are some of my favorite. Like, we get so wrapped up in thinking that like, this was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away that we forget that these were real people with real emotions, with real issues, and God uses them in these events to display his glory. See, God reminds Joshua that he is not alone, that God is with him, and we've seen this already in Joshua chapter 1. We saw it at the end of Deuteronomy. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. And here at this pivotal moment, in Joshua's life and leadership, God is reminding him yet again, you're not alone. You are not alone. And he's telling him that you are second in command. And I love this. He goes, who are you? And Joshua says to this person he sees, and this person says, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Wait a second. Wasn't that who Joshua thought he was? He thought he was the commander of the army of the Lord. But he realized in this critical moment that he is second in command that the Lord is ultimately in command. And I got news for you, church. God is ultimately in command of your life as well. The fact is you can either surrender now or you can surrender later, but you will submit to the authority of Jesus one way or another. It's either in this life or in eternity future. And if you wait for that eternity, you ain't going to like the end results. See, Joshua realized he is on the outskirts of pagan Jericho, 
with all their false gods and idolatry and immorality being practiced in that city. And Joshua hears God say, you are on holy ground. Take off your sandals from your feet. And I just want to encourage you. We could go all kinds of other places in the Bible, specifically in the New Testament, where we hear God say to us, and I just want to encourage you today, no matter what you are going through in your life, no matter what you may be going through in leadership in some areas of your life, no matter what you're going through um, in, in home or work or however you lead in the church, be reminded today you are not alone. God is saying to you right now through his word that he is with you. It's not making sure God is on your side, but making sure you are on God's side. Man, I pray the Lord has worked on you today. But go ahead and stand with me as we go to Lord in prayer. Oh God, we praise you for not leaving us alone. And we praise you for being with us. For your promise to always be with us. For never leaving or forsaking us. We praise you that when we wake up in the morning, no matter what the previous day has held or what that day holds, that you are with us, Lord. All glory be to your name, Jesus. We praise you for your love for us, that you will always, that you are always with us. And Lord, we, we, we praise you for your sovereignty over all things. Will we gladly submit to you, Lord? We, we take our place today as second in command. And we are so thankful that you are the Lord of our lives. So lead us and guide us, Lord. Do in and through our lives whatever you desire, we pray. And help us to remember all day long today and all night and, and the next day, Lord, that we are constantly on holy ground. With your Holy Spirit inside of us, help us to live sacred lives, lives consecrated to you, just like we saw in Jericho. God, help us in our thoughts and our desires and our words and our deeds. In everything we are and do, God, help us to be holy. Make us holy as you are holy. Help us to live every single moment in the light of your holy presence. We pray all this in your precious and holy name, Jesus. Amen.